Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny FD. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. Hey guys, this is Johnny and welcome to episode 101 of the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm still out here in Ukraine for another week, but Sam is in sunny San Diego. Welcome, Sam. San Diego, finally made it to the West Coast, man. It's been a exhausting two-week, but pretty incredible road trip. Got into the RVing lifestyle. We'll have to catch up on that more later, but happy to be back on the coast. I was getting tired of the desert. Yeah, so now I want to know about about this trip. Since we last spoke in episode 100, you've basically went across the U.S. by what, like motorcycle, RV, car? All three. It wasn't that ex- yeah, it wasn't that ex- extensive. So I flew out to Scottsdale, Arizona, for a seven-day work retreat with this company I work with in Tampa. And then after they left, I rented a motorcycle, a BMW 650. I was supposed to have this XR 1000, but it was broke, so I was super bummed. Still got a, a pretty cool BMW uh, GS 650, and I rode it from Scottsdale down to Tombstone. So anyone seen the movie Tombstone, super cool old western city I always wanted to see. Uh, and then I, I shot back up to to Phoenix, Scottsdale, Arizona. And then from there I rented an RV through this company Cruise America and rode that up through the Grand Canyon for about five days, four nights through Sedona. Uh, and returned that, then rented a car and drove to here <laughs> San Diego. Wow, living that van life. Dude, it was it was a lot of driving. It was really exhausting. And the desert, of course, this time of year is like 115 degrees. Uh, so camping, a lot of learnings, a lot of takeaways from the whole RV experience. But I'm glad to be back in a house. Uh, I'm at my sister's place in San Diego. It feels good to be grounded again. Man, okay. So first off, that BMW bike looked really cool. 650 mm-hmm. is plenty big. Did it sure. feel like hot when you're on the bike or because you know when you're on the like when you're going the the wind cools you down enough scottsdale is probably one of the hottest places in the world this time of year i I can't imagine many places getting up to 120 degrees but scottsdale phoenix so so for anyone that's not familiar phoenix scottsdale tempe mesa it's all the same city basically it's just like one big square city so you can use any of those they're kind of interchangeable but I rented the bike in Phoenix, blazing hot, man. I mean, it was it was incredibly hot, and then it's super stressful because you're on these mega highways with six lanes of traffic. Um, but as soon as you got outside of the city, it's still hot. You know, it's 110 degrees, but it's dry. And my uh, the motorcycle jacket I got breathed pretty well, so uh, it was hot. I would stop every 45 minutes or so for shade and water, but. Other than that, it was um, it was cool. Like I wasn't I wasn't overheating or anything, and it, you're so in, enjoying the experience so much that you kind of forget about it. Okay, uh, I like that. But why did you do this? I mean, like especially why during the summer? Well, I I rented the bike because I have a motorcycle race course coming up in in Salt Lake City where we're, we're going to be on R sixes, full leather, and you know one on one three day instruction. Like it's it's been a dream of mine to do something like this big bucket list item. But I haven't been on a big size motorcycle in probably six or seven years. Um, only scooters in Asia. So I, I wanted to get my, you know, I wanted to dip my toes again and get comfortable on a bigger bike before I just go straight out and I'm doing 150 on a racetrack uh, and you know blowing around corners. So that was the reason for that. And then the same with the RV thing, just something I've always wanted to do and 
get used to the lifestyle, explore it and see if it's something that I'm interested in doing longer term. And um, it was a good it's so easy to rent stuff and consume stuff in the US. So I got to take advantage of it while I'm here. I'm curious, how much was it to rent that bike per day? And how much was it for the RV? Uh, the bike, including insurance, I think it was like maybe 110. And then gas was nothing because I, I did the whole trip on like one tank of gas. Uh, so I want to say it was maybe 400 for like three nights, four days, something, something like that. Pretty reasonable. And then the RV similar, the RV was, I think 600, somewhere around like 650 for four nights, five days. Uh, but where that gets expensive is gas. Cause I probably spent 300 extra on gas. I mean, that thing just chews through gas. So, yeah, I've, I've um, seen, but again, I, it was good experience. I've seen those, so think, uh, those Camping America vans, they're pretty big. They're like an actual RV. So they're not like a conversion van, so they definitely go through uh-huh. through gas. What, are you getting like eight or nine miles a gallon on that? I think less, yeah, because wow. we did so much city stuff like in and around Sedona and Phoenix. So it's just, yeah, it wasn't fun. Okay. <laughs> it was like $25 an hour or something. That's and, crazy. Uh, that you're going through. Yeah. That, so how was it actually sleeping in the van? The, the the big takeaway is that you can't really just live off the generator. You need to be plugged in um, because the generator is, is super inefficient. The AC doesn't really get cold when you use it. And also there's a risk of carbon monoxide poisoning. So you're not supposed to run it at night when you're sleeping. So we when we were plugged in, it was comfortable enough. But one night we got stuck without a, a campground and it was like, like 88 to 90 at night. And we couldn't run the generator, and it was miserable. It was like sleeping in a sauna. So you just you didn't sleep. You sweated the whole night. Uh, so that was <laughs> that a big reminds me. Experience. Uh, that reminds me of our hotel room we shared in Spain on the first night. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Except the bed in the in Spain was slightly more comfortable, and there was a fan at least. But <laughs> oh my god! All right. Well, this makes me not want to do van life for a while, at least. Well, I, I can write some real important takeaways on how to hit the ground running um, because I, I didn't. I didn't watch any videos or, or ask anyone any questions. I just rocked up, got the van and or got the RV and headed out into the desert. <laughs> that sounds like a smart man's last words. <laughs> right. All right. Well, well speaking of which. Back to the investing front. Yeah. Yeah. So honestly, when I – all right. So Bitcoin, ICOs, cryptocurrency has been a hugely hot topic all of last year. And to be honest, I was kind of glad that that hype has died down. People stopped talking about it. There's a lot of, you know, people who lost a lot of money, a lot of people who got lucky and made a lot of money. And honestly, when I first saw this in the folder for our first episode after 100, I was like, why are we getting back into this? Why are we talking about cryptocurrencies? But I listened to the interview and I realized ICOs were just some kind of cryptocurrency fund that is kind of, you know, the new building block really is going to be the future. It really is going to be like the early days of the internet, lots of risk, mm-hmm. lots of reward. And I think whether the, you know, you guys listening care about Bitcoin or cryptocurrency at all, this is information that you need to know right now, because in 10 years, we might look back thinking, why did we not look in that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is an episode that when I went back and listened to the cryptocurrency episodes we've done so far, I started thinking about what are we missing and, you know, a dedicated episode on ICOs and understanding the fundamentals, how it works. There are still a lot of holes in certainly my knowledge and I'm, I'm sure yours, Johnny, and uh, a lot of the listeners. 
But wrapping our heads around this because there's still tons of money flying into this stuff. A lot of the cryptocurrency prices are, are flat. A lot of them are still declining. A couple of them are moving up. But at, but that's what everyone sees. What a lot of people don't see is the very early stage private funding for some of these ICO projects, some of these uh, coin projects, blockchain projects, of course. So yeah. we really need to understand this stuff. It's I, I can't tell you how it's going to shake out. I'll have some, some uh, of my own opinions in the exit commentary. But it's important for everyone to understand what's happening in the ICO st- space and how to define them, if nothing else. Yeah, I mean, if anything, if you guys don't know what the difference between a coin and a token is, which is something that I didn't know prior to this, <laughs> and I've been investing in a couple coins and tokens, I guess, this is an episode you guys need to listen to. If you don't think ICOs are important, I think we're going to be missing out on something big. But I don't necessarily you know, suggest everyone jump in and... and start investing in it. So let's talk about that more in the, in the exit commentary, what we would personally mm-hmm. do. Um, but I think we should just hop in because I think there's a lot of information in this episode that everyone needs to learn. I like it. So we're going to have on Marshall. He's one of the co-founders of Ninja Coin. They're based out of Hong Kong. And I hope you guys enjoy this episode. It's a ICO 101 episode. Enjoy this discussion. All right. Everybody, welcome back. We got on Marshall Taplitz with NinjaCoin, and he's going to help us navigate this ICO episode. Marshall, welcome to the show. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, great to have you on from Shenzhen, old uh, stomping ground of my own. It's cool to see that you're over there. Lots of activity in the crypto space in Shenzhen, China, and uh, Hong Kong, of course. Yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting. I mean, as you probably have heard, you know, China has uh, clamped down on ICOs, so you know, uh, but there's a lot of activity in Hong Kong. Um, I am not personally involved in the ICO uh, stuff going on in mainland, uh, mm-hmm. but you know, I mean, you see uh, people talking about it everywhere, and uh, it's certainly, uh, you know, certainly even if it's underground, it's extremely popular. Yeah, very cool. I was in Hong Kong maybe four or five months ago. It was awesome to see the Bitcoin and the crypto ATMs there, and you know, lines of thirty, forty people after work sitting there and buying Bitcoin, selling Bitcoin, and uh, taking cash out of an ATM for it is pretty cool. Yeah, and I mean, you know, uh, especially in Hong Kong, which has always been a finance center and uh, with all the, you know, challenges with the banking system right now, I mean, I'm sure you've heard as well, you know, you just simply cannot even get a bank account opened, uh, even if you're a Hong Kong uh, citizen, you know, doing a regular business. So uh, so a lot of people have kind of, uh, you know, uh, posited that Hong Kong could become, you know, one of the main world centers of the cryptocurrency yeah. space in order to maintain its position in the finance industry. Hmm. Yeah, super interesting stuff. We'll see how it plays out. So, Marshall, I want to go into, of course, Ninja and Ninja Coin and what you guys are at. But first, we kind of want to navigate the basics and fundamentals of an ICO. And I thought that sure. just to start, we can get with it, get get across the most basic thing, which would just be how do you define or what's your definition of an ICO? So I mean, an ICO is an initial coin offering. And basically what it means is there's a new type of business model out there that is uh, using tokens, uh, you know, basically as the currency throughout the application. You know, anybody who's played games before and you have in, in-game purchases and different, you know, in-app, uh, you know, in-game uh, items you can buy or anybody who's taking their kids to uh, you know, one of the little amusement parks where you put a $20 bill in and you get a bunch of tokens and you can go play all the rides, but you need mm-hmm. to have those tokens. It's kind of like that. So, you know, it's a, it's a way of... It's a way of uh, uh, distributing tokens that are that are for your platform, and then these tokens are what you actually use to access the services within it. 
Got it. And Bitcoin's the first cryptocurrency that comes to everyone's mind. That wasn't actually through an ICO, right? It was strictly through mining. Right. So, so Bitcoin is more of a, a straight currency. It, it, you know, it doesn't have any smart contract platforms. It doesn't, you know, capability. It doesn't really do anything other than just kind of, well, it does a lot, but it, but it's essentially a straight shot currency, uh, uh, um, coin. Whereas, uh, Ethereum is a whole smart contract platform. And so, you know, it, it lends itself to a lot more capability. And one of the things that it has the capability of doing is actually creating your own token systems off of the Ethereum blockchain, almost like as a sidechain. And so there's a standard called ERC-20. Uh, and this standard basically allows anyone to make a token on this Ethereum blockchain. So that's really where, uh, you know, the whole ICOs came from, is uh, from when Ethereum actually did their own ICO uh, on their own blockchain. Got it. So Ethereum was one of the, the first, or kind of the first one that came out using their own technology. What were some of the, the next coins to be offered via an ICO uh, after Ethereum that come to mind? I'm sure there's tons that came out oh, kind I of mean, in now quick succession. Yeah, I mean, now there's thousands, but, uh, but uh, you know, some of the big ones in the beginning were like uh, Status I Am and, and, and Tezos, which has had some problems, and, and even, and even uh, EOS, uh, which, mm-hmm. you know, is operating as its own uh, blockchain, actually, but it did its ICO on the block on the ethereum blockchain to to uh, raise those funds so uh you know there's been now literally thousands now it seems like ethereum is the leading platform to release an ico are there other platforms that have any type of popularity uh, in compared to ethereum there are other platforms that you can do an ico on um like waves for example uh but uh, it you know ethereum is absolutely the number one by far and uh you know, I haven't really seen any major ICOs uh, being done uh, elsewhere. Are, are some companies doing their own ICO through their own technology or is that just a beast of a, an undertaking? Yeah, I mean, there probably are. But, you know, when you think about it, you know, the whole point of an ICO is to get people to buy your tokens. It's almost mm-hmm. like a prepaid debit card. It's almost like a, like a prepaid gift card. Right. You know, it's mm-hmm. a you put the money on now and later when the platform goes live, you can you can use these tokens in the system. And right. so, you know, uh, when when you do an ICO, you want to have as uh, easy access for people to buy these tokens. And and, and Ethereum, for sure, is is, uh, you know, the the uh the what do you call it the blockchain that has the wallet that has the most users you know other than bitcoin right so so to do an ico off of some random chain is you, you know is just not a generally good idea because you're just going to get you know a lot less people who know how to buy it right how does ethereum profit or benefit if a company uses ethereum to launch their ico well, that's a good question. Uh, it w- was a question about how, how Ethereum uh, makes money when other people do an ICO or when they made their own ICO. When uh, when another company uses Ethereum to launch their ICO. Right. So so they don't make money directly per se, um, but there's a lot of knock on effects and there's a lot of, you know, um, you know, network theory about, mm-hmm. you know, the more people are using the network, the more that network is is you know, is uh, worth, right? And, mm-hmm. and so, uh, you know, the Ethereum Foundation, obviously, uh, owns a lot of Ethereum coin. So if a lot of people are using Ethereum network, then the value of that coin, you know, is worth more. And then right. what that allows them to do is invest more in the platform, because, you know, they have they have this coin that is that is now worth something. Um, so, uh, you know, so they make money indirectly in that way. Um, also, mm-hmm. a lot of people are in the mining, you know, industry. Uh, and if you're mining Ethereum, which a lot of original people involved in Ethereum in one form or another 
are, are certainly doing and involved in. And, and so as there's more transactions, you know, then the, then they're making more money on mining and the, and, and then the, the gas price goes up as well. So, so there's a lot of a knock on effects. And, you know, I think it's also kind of just the way this industry is. It's not really about companies with profit loss statements per se. It's, mm. it's, it's networks and economies that are being built, you know, digital economies, almost like, you know, in the U.S., you have a dollar and everybody in the U.S. uses dollars. Well, you know, everybody in the in, in any of these blockchain spaces uses the token, you know, of that of that space. And so uh, so even though you can't really say, OK, they've made money, quote unquote, but but being part of a network and owning a lot of the coins of that network and, you know, being part of the mining community in that network and all the service providers in that network, you know, as an aggregate, you're you know, there's a huge economy growing. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. When someone launches an ICO, uh, again, we're ref- referring back to Ethereum as the platform and technology that's used to enable it. You're paying for that ICO. You have to you have to trade some value, uh, assumably. So you're paying for those coins in another form of coins, correct? Exactly. So a, a pure ICO, uh, as it originally was with Ethereum, basically goes like this. Uh, they, you get an a- Ethereum address that you're supposed to send Ethereum to. And when you send money to that Ethereum address, that address is actually a smart contract and it has a code in it that basically says, okay, when, when I receive Ethereum from you, uh, I'm going to immediately send back, uh, uh, this other token that you've actually purchased in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, over the, the years now, the, uh, these smart contracts have gotten more complicated. Sometimes you don't get the tokens right away and they have token generation events after the fact and, Sometimes there's, you know, people can buy an ICO with Bitcoin and even fiat currency. And so there's mm-hmm. other processes that have to be, you know, done in order to get you your tokens. But the, the pure original ICO is just uh, you send Ethereum to a contract address and immediately you get back the tokens. Got it. What are the qualifications now for issuing an ICO? I know there's a lot of murky water out there with the SEC and stuff. And you guys recently did an ICO. Uh, what was that whole process like? Well, I mean, we're in the process of, of doing ours still. And, you know, the the regulation is always evolving. And, you know, mm-hmm. some people like myself in the industry would, you know, wish the, the governments would just be a lot more clear as to exactly what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do. So right. we can, like, guarantee that we're following the rules. But, mm-hmm. but you know, it's not like that. Uh, unfortunately, it's it's more up in the air. So you have to do what your advisors say. And, you know, you get, you know, professional guidance. But it's it's all guessing. Um, but the main thing that it seems to come down to is, you know, whether you're a utility token or whether you're a security token. And, mm-hmm. you know, basically, uh, you know, the, in the U.S., they have this thing called the Howey test, which, I mean, I don't personally think it's the right choice, you know, for using for regulation. It has to do with oranges back in back in the 30s or something. But anyway, uh, it, what it basically says is if the if the token exists, you know, before the platform, uh, you know, then it's a security. And if it, if it exists, you know, uh, while the platform is out there for you to use it and this coin or this token is what you use, you know, within the whole platform in order to access the services, then it's a utility. Hmm. And if it's a utility, then it's, you know, then you save yourself a lot of trouble on the, uh, on the SEC stuff. Um, so, you know, I mean, look, I mean, at least for Ninja, you know, that's why we're making sure that, you know, the beta comes out, everyone can use it, you know, and then by the time the ICO and the token generation, you know, that's already after the, the platform already exists. And then, you know, and then you have uh, uh, the go live. So, so, uh, you know, I think um, basically if you're planning on using the ICO as a way to to fund all the development um, of your platform, 
you're probably on, uh, you know, on, on the fence, whether you're a security mm-hmm. or not. But if you're more like, uh, what we're doing with Ninja, where we raise traditional funds through equity and then you, you know, invest that in the development. And then, you know, later the ICO comes out as a way to distribute the tokens, basically. Um, you know, that's the, the ideal situation. Gotcha. And so I've always heard of the terms as token and coin. So would that be the same as token versus security? Security would be the coin or currency. Well, maybe. OK. So the thing is, is the, the fact whether it's whether it's a security token or a utility token, it's still a token. Mm-hmm. And token and coin are even, you know, kind of the same. You can interchange them. However, some people uh, like myself, I prefer to use the word coin when I'm referring to the base blockchain currency mm-hmm. and token when you're when you're talking about something that lives on top of it. So, for example, Ethereum, in my mind, is a coin because that's the currency of the entire blockchain. And, you know, Ninja token, uh, even though we'll say Ninja coin just because people like the word coin, but. But Ninja Token, really, because it's it's living on the Ethereum blockchain, but it's not the main currency of that blockchain. So that's mm. kind of the difference. Got it. Okay. All right. So a, a user buys a token or a coin using, say, Ethereum. After they buy it, how do they uh, how do they then get access to that uh, that new coin or that new token? Right. So that's the beauty of the Ethereum network. If you do a pure ICO. The, the way the smart contracts can be written, uh, is essentially that, uh, that, you know, the tokens will be automatically sent back to that address that you've, that you've sent the coin from. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine, like, uh, imagine a, a, a paper contract, right? Where I said to you, uh, Sam, I want you to, uh, send Ethereum to this address. And, and then, you know, I'm going to send you your tokens back to the same address. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I just want you to sign your name and you sign your name. But instead of doing it manually, you, you code that into a smart contract so that that happens automatically. And because of the way Ethereum wallets are, are made, uh, you know, are, are, are designed, uh, you have the ability in any uh, Ethereum wallet to not only trade and hold uh, uh, Ethereum, but also any token that adheres to this ERC-20 standard. Mm-hmm. And so that's what's so beautiful about Ethereum. And that's why it took off so well is, you know, as soon as your your token comes out, uh, your existing Ethereum wallet already now has that token support in it. You don't need like a separate wallet for each kind of token, which mm-hmm. is, you know, different than, for example, like Bitcoin is one uh, uh, blockchain. So I would need a Bitcoin wallet. You know, Ethereum is another blockchain. So I would need a Ethereum wallet. Uh, you know, then Tezos is another blockchain. I would need a Tezos wallet. But the beauty is that with Ethereum, your Ethereum wallet can now also have any one of thousands and thousands or even millions of other coins built into it as long as it's using that same ERC-20 standard. Gotcha. So what, what's your favorite Ethereum wallet? Well, the uh, the main one that most people seem to use is uh, my Ether wallet. Um, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's web-based. People like it because you can save off the code to your local machine. So there's no uh, chance, you know, that, uh, you know, that people can uh, uh, change the code on you without you knowing it. And, uh, and it's also, uh, you know, generally just very secure. However, uh, if you want to have something a little more convenient uh, that, that lives as like a browser plugin, uh, you can do something uh, with like MetaMask, it's called. It's a, mm-hmm. a, a Chrome plugin. Uh, I think they have Fire- Firefox plugin as well. They're probably a little less secure, but to be honest, I've never heard of anyone having a problem. Uh, and also uh, then there's some hardware wallets uh, like uh, the, the Ledger and the Nano, um, which I personally haven't used. Uh, mm-hmm. So I don't know too much about those, but. But uh, I stick with uh, my Ether wallet. Okay, cool. Now, if you go and buy 
coins, tokens through an ICO, you get them to your Ether wallet. Are those coins immediately liquid? Can you go out and resell those? Are there certain circumstances that either forbid you to go out and and resell those at that time uh, or, or any other reason that you wouldn't be able to exchange those for either another currency or even cash up, uh, upon receiving them? Right, right. So um, basically, there's a few different things. One is um, what was in that smart contract uh, when it said that, you know, it was going to send you those coins? Because one option is that there's actually a lockup period where you can see the tokens in your wallet, but in fact, you can't move them because they're locked up for some period. And so this is common in like a like a private sale for an ICO where people will say, OK, look, you know, I, I can I can sell these tokens for you at a lower price. Uh, then we're going to be selling them later. But, you know, you can't you know, you can't transfer them for six months, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's so there's that uh, aspect of it. But other than the fact that it's uh, coded to not be able to move, assuming that's not the case then you're free to move those tokens to any other uh, Ethereum wallet at your leisure. Now, that's a bit internal in the sense that, you know, that's not getting you out to cash per se, mm-hmm. and it's not transferring it to any other tokens or any other currencies. But, but you know, you're free to trade those tokens within the system. Now, if you want to move those tokens to some other token like you want to do like an exchange Mm -hmm. uh you there are some options out there um there are some decentralized exchanges uh like uh, ether delta you know a few others Mm -hmm. uh where if you know if if you're uh uh, supported on those platforms Bancor uh is another one then you can uh, exchange them and then there's also like uh, what most people know as exchanges like binance and Mm -hmm. and uh bitfinex and you know these it's possible that if your coin gets popular enough that these, uh, you know, these, uh, um, exchanges will agree to, to put your tokens on their, their platform. And then when that happens, you actually have the ability to trade those tokens, you know, for any other token, because then it becomes like a, like a market for the tokens, right. uh, which is really, uh, you know, something like the world has never seen before. It's, it's, uh, you know, and this is also why the, the, uh, SEC, I guess, is concerned of, you know, securities and this and that. But mm-hmm. but if you think about it, I mean, it makes perfect sense because if I, you know, have these tokens and I'm, you know, using them in this in this platform and then I decide, well, I also want to access services that, you know, within another platform, you know, why do I need to buy those tokens, you know, from from cash? I mean, why can't I exchange one of these tokens for, for another one of these tokens? So it's great now that there's this market that has developed for that. Right. So the it's not a hundred percent guarantee when you buy your ICO that you're going to be able to, that that's going to be listed on exchange yet. Right. But that seems to be the goal of a lot of companies with their coins and tokens is to get them on the exchange. Cause that just produces a, a much larger market. Right. Well, ex- exactly. It's all, it's all about the ability to exchange because if, you know, if, if, if you want people to use your token uh, within your platform, you know, one of the things is that, they need to feel like they don't have to get rid of it at every given moment. They have to have some confidence that, you know, this token is going to have some sort of value because, because if it's, if it's useful within a platform for services, then it's obviously has some sort of value. And then the question is, well, what is that value, you know, compared to other tokens and, you know, what they can offer, you know, to buy within those tokens, uh, ecosystems. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's the, you know, one of the goals of, of people who are doing ICOs is, to eventually get picked up on on exchanges because that provides that that uh, liquidity that you need in order to be able to uh, have people confident to 
to hold your token, you know, and not just uh, want to get rid of it, you know, at mm-hmm. every given moment. Here's a question that continues to confuse me. And I think it confuses a lot of our listeners and a lot of people new to cryptocurrencies when they're, they're buying coins or tokens. Some people feel that they are then owners and have equity in the company. But most ICOs, you're, when you buy the actual coin, you're not actually getting any equity in that in that platform or underlying corporation if there is one. Is that is that correct? Or is there any circumstances where when you buy the ICO, you are a, a co-owner of that company, just like if you're buying shares of a public company on a stock exchange? Right. So in general, uh, when you buy a token, if it's a utility token, uh, then, you know, that does not have any rights that you know, that you own any part of the company or getting sort of dividends or anything like that. And, mm-hmm. and some of these things are not even companies at all. I mean, they're completely distributed. Some of them, the, the, the dApps and, you know, others are, are fairly decentralized and, and others like Ninja, for example. I mean, we are a company, but, you know, we, we, our goal is to, to promote the growth of the economy, not to make money on, on the equity of the company. And, mm-hmm. and even one day we hope to not even need a company. So, uh, so it just depends on, on where you where you are in the uh, in the process. But yeah, absolutely. So like with with the Ethereum, do you know how they're set up? Do they is there actually an equity holding of Ethereum? And then there's also the coin, which has significant value if you're a holder of the coin. Yeah, I mean, there's a foundation and that foundation, you know, has uh, has assets uh, mainly from the money that was brought in when people bought the Ethereum coin, uh, you know, which. Uh, you know, which uh, uh, obviously uh, was millions and millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was 19 million at the time. And then all, uh, don't hold me to that. And then, uh, you know, after the uh, Ethereum network went live, the founda- foundation also owns, I don't know what percent, but, you know, I'm sure a, a fair percent of, of the uh, Ethereum tokens, which now having, you know, even though I think they came out at like 19 cents or something, and now they're, you know, worth $475 a piece. Um, you know, you can imagine the wealth that, that, that these people, you know, either through the foundation directly or, you know, even their own holdings of, of Ethereum from the beginning, uh, you know, they obviously have a, a tremendous amount of wealth. But but that is not a company in the sense that, like, uh, you're going to sell it as an equity or, like, you're going to cash out of, of the company. It's, it's you know, people in this industry are much more interested in the in the value and the size of the network they create than the than mm-hmm. the um, the equity value of, of, of shares in a company. Makes sense. It's such an interesting new concept to try to wrap your head around from an investing standpoint. I'm sure you're having this conversation regularly with all types of people that are, are backing Ninja and um, in all your discussions at different conferences and stuff. And with all the different ICOs that you've seen and been around, what are some of the key ingredients that, that have kind of made them successful? Uh, obviously, there's been a lot that haven't been successful and and many, many dozens, if not hundreds, that have been wildly successful. But what do you see as some key ingredients? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, sometimes I see uh, ICOs that really should not be successful, and, and they are, mm-hmm. and I just scratch my head. Um, but, uh, you know, but a lot of them, I mean, they're really good. If you, if you look at their, you know, if you look at what they're doing with the token and, you know, how they are creating a frictionless global system, uh, where people own their own uh, assets and own their own uh, rights to the, the their own information uh, with the private key, uh, it's just a fantastic new uh, new world. I mean, you know, like one ICO, I uh, I invested in, or I shouldn't say invested. It's a contribution, really. I mean, you're basically <laughs> just giving it to them. Well, I mean, in the in the sense that you know, I mean, I've I've you know, I still have the tokens because I want to see what happens when this mm-hmm. platform goes live. You know, but. 
but anyway, it's one called Opus. And, uh, I mean, this is, this is from last year, maybe even two years ago at this point. So, um, but I, but I have held it from the beginning and it's this whole, you know, decentralized music industry basically where, where artists can release music, you know, has digital rights protections and, you know, each, uh, each uh, artist, you know, automatically through smart contract gets cuts of the, 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 the royalties, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. every time the music is downloaded and played and, and it's this just self-governing, beautiful system where all the middlemen are just absolutely cut out. You know, there's no paperwork and, and, and the artists, you know, get all the benefit of their, of their creation and all the, uh, and all the users of the platform, you know, would get, uh, you know, the right to download anything anywhere as long as they pay the coin. Right. Uh, so it's, be- you know, it's, it's just beautiful. It's just, you're, you're just wit- witnessing the birth of entire new business models that just remove all the intermediaries, you know, put the benefit right back to the creators. And uh, it's all self-governing. It's it's fantastic. Music industry seems like the perfect use case for this. We had on a company called Royalty Exchange, nothing to do with blockchain or, or crypto or ICOs or anything. About six months ago, we were talking about music royalties, and it just seemed like that whole system is massively convoluted and ripe for dis- disruption. And it seems like that's a perfect use case. And it's cool because I'd never heard of Opus, but it's, I'll definitely check it out after this and yeah. see what they're up to. Um, but what are, what are some of the really, other... What was really interesting... Mm-hmm. Sorry, what was really interesting is like, you know, I mean, when I was in university back in like 1999, a little old now, I guess, but, um, you know, uh, that was when Napster came out. And oh, yeah. I mean, that was, just, that was just when everybody started downloading music for free and the music industry was like flipping out, right? And, you know, all they had to do was started selling music conveniently. And, uh, you know, as soon as Apple figured it out, you know, nobody cared about Napster and nobody even cares you download music on BitTorrent, right? Because only people who really can't afford the music, you know, or really want to go out of their way to save 99 cents are going to go down these illegal methods. You know, as Mm -hmm. soon as the music industry produced, you know, a workable way for people to get music, uh, you know, and then you had Spotify and you had all these innovations, uh, you know, and we're all in a better place for it. Right. And, and yeah, you can't go buy a CD anymore, but who cares? That's not needed. Right. So I think, you know, what, what's happening now is just the next evolution, but this time it's really the death knell of the industry because, yeah. you know, I mean, there, there's just no need for them at all. I mean, their entire industry has been made redundant with, with a smart contract. Um, now having said that, you know, you can make a ton of money in the music business and, and, uh, and you're going to be able to, and you're, you're going to see the growth of the music industry you know, 20 fold, uh, because of this technology, but the benefits definitely going more toward the creators and people putting in the work. It makes a lot of sense. It's an interesting industry. It's cool to, to hear how Opus is playing a part in it. What are some of the other coins or projects out there that are either developed or in development now that, that excite you? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, there's, um, there's one called, uh, V chain, uh, V chain Thor. They just renamed it. Um, mm-hmm. it's, a it's a very, very, very solid uh, supply. They started off uh, as a way to do supply chain management, but it's evolved more toward that, uh, more more than that. And it's um, there's a concept that uh, the Neo blockchain, uh, which is actually the first kind of Chinese blockchain that came out, uh, they had this concept of Neo versus gas, and they had this mechanism where if you have Neo in your wallet, basically you're staking the coin there. Um, it produces this uh, other current, other token called gas. And then you can use that gas to power your transactions on the network. So basically, as long as you bought NEO and you kept it on the blockchain uh, in your private, you know, in your wallet, you know, you would not have to pay to use the blockchain because, you know, you could keep enough NEO on to produce the amount of gas that you need. And that's a great way to create demand for, for you know, the NEO token. 
the Neo coin actually because uh, because people just want to keep it there to get the free gas. Mm. Um, and and VeChain uh, really took that to another level because they followed that same mechanism uh, mechanism, but uh, which really nobody else uh, of substance has done, uh, maybe other than Steam a little bit. But but by doing that, um, you know, and then putting in all the latest smart contract uh, capabilities, even surpassing what EOS is doing and and, and Ethereum. Uh, they're really looking to me like uh, the, the, one of the next main blockchains. Interesting. When I was at the Bitcoin Miami conference in January, I believe, I think it was Wanchain. It's Wanchain or Wan, not Wanchai. I'm getting Hong Kong confused with coins, I think. <laughs> uh, Wanchain. Are you familiar with them? No, I'm not familiar with that w- one. W-A-N-Chai or something. Um, anyways, they were like all the rave at the Bitcoin conference, but uh, but they were building off of Ethereum. So I was like, well, if if they are they blow up and they're the next thing, then surely Ethereum will benefit from their success, right? Well, absolutely. And I think, you know, this is one of people's concerns about Ethereum, in fact, is they've been having a lot of scalability challenges. And uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, CryptoKitties. But, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, that, it was that like was a big uh, talk was... at, uh, at the Bitcoin January conference as well. I was like, geez. Right. And, <laughs> well, and, and, he, and here, you know, here you have this relatively stupid, you know, idea, in my opinion. Uh, mm-hmm. But nonetheless, hey, it took off, right? People liked it, and if people liked it, then then it was cool. Right. And uh, so people liked it, and basically, even though there wasn't that much demand, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, but it just completely overla- uh, overloaded the the Ethereum network, and and the gas price went through the roof. And pretty much anybody who was really using Ethereum for anything of value, uh, you know, was was not able to use it properly during that period of time. So. You know, that really shed light onto all the scalability issues that Ethereum's been having. And, and then, you know, that's one of the reasons that even though they're working on it with Casper and sharding and all these things, but this is, you know, one of the main reasons people have gotten more excited about EOS, uh, you know, and now VeChain Thor and, and, you know, some of these other platforms, you know, Qtum mm-hmm. and, you know, a, a number of others. Do, when you're planning your ICO, uh, is there kind of a, a standard roadmap for, the different stages of getting to that ICO in terms of funding and and what you guys release. I know there's a concept of kind of doing private funding versus public funding, you know, and like different levels before you actually have your public ICO. Right. I mean, you know, in in a, in a perfect world, uh, everybody would just keep doing what the original ICO was, which mm-hmm. is you know you throw your project up there. It's kind of like a Kickstarter, if you will, and then you know if people like the project, they contribute you know some some Ethereum to it, and then you get your tokens. I mean, that's really the ideal situation. Um, but, you know, I mean, there's a lot of regulation going on right now. A lot of governments, you know, uh, that just simply can't make up their mind what the real rules are. And, mm-hmm. and everyone's a little nervous, uh, you know, so people are, are playing it safe, I guess, uh, and sticking with private sales um, more so. And, um, you know, I mean, uh, yeah, I guess that reduces uh, risk because, uh, you know, the, the rules on how to do uh, private things is, is more established i guess mm-hmm. than than uh how to do public things uh, but you know on the other hand it's just another example of the centralization of the industry and and how uh you know the rich get richer right, uh, right. whereas uh whereas uh you know the in- original intent of of ICOs was hey you know if you like uh, what we're doing here you know buy some tokens uh if you buy some tokens then when the you know, uh, platform goes live. You can you can use the tokens in in the platform, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, you know, if you want to sell the tokens uh, later, and you know, good on you. But that wasn't really the uh, the initial intent. And uh, you know, I I just think that uh, the industry really needs some some 
major governments to just flat out say what the rules are Mm -hmm. and don't be silly. Don't don't make pretend that these are securities like as if it's a stock market. It's not. You know, these are you know, these aren't things like stocks where you put away. and You just hope they, you know, get more valuable. I mean, you know, these are these are literally the tokens that you use in all these new ecosystems. I mean, Mm -hmm. imagine imagine if Uber, you know, had all their autonomous vehicles uh, you know, you're not going to get into an autonomous Uber and, and start, you know, giving it like, you know, swift transfers and, and you know, dollars <laughs> and stuff. I mean, it's going to take Uber coin and, yeah. you know, Uber coin is going to have a value because, you know, you're going to be able to use Uber coin right. anywhere in the world, you know, to access Uber services. And if you happen to have too many Uber coin, you know, you can sell some off, you know, and if you bought it low and sold it high, I guess you made money. But but that's that's not really the point, you know. And uh, and so I think. uh we need to get back to what the original point of the whole ICO uh, thing was, in my opinion. Nice. So just one final point to clarify before we jump into some some information and and updates on Ninja Coin and Ninja as a platform. So when we, when ICO started, as you said, it, let's say it was Ethereum. Ethereum would give a certain amount of coins to developers and people that are close to the project as kind of um, almost like equity in a sense or as compensation and then they would take it to a public platform where anyone who thought the idea was good could buy those coins versus the private funding method which is you're you're launching a let's say a coin and a platform you go out and find private investors just as like a lot of startups would and then once you've sold those coins you develop the, the platform and coin and then you might go and list it on a public exchange so the difference being that you know, typically now high net worth people are getting access to a lot of these coins versus a lot of the the public, you know, uh, crypto enthusiasts, if you will, that would like to invest, but they're not getting, you know, they're not, they don't have the same access as that maybe high net worth individuals uh, that are close to these projects would have. Is that kind of correct in terms of I, the different ways of funding these projects? I think it's it's pretty correct, but uh, but you know one one mistake uh, just at the beginning was mm-hmm. you know that uh, that before uh, you know that the founders and all these people would get coin and and I, I think you alluded to like now that's not so much and it's coming mm-hmm. from the, the the investors I guess quote unquote um, not so much I mean because you're still the t- the team is still taking uh, you know a percent of the coin right because mm-hmm. you know they're, they're not you know how are they going to benefit right I mean like, like you said it's equity means nothing in this world so. So, you know, it's, it's still common for the founders, uh, you know, and the people, you know, the team and the advisors and all these people to, to keep a percent of the coin. That's still common. And, mm-hmm. and actually that's preferable because, you know, then they're, they're aligned, right? I mean, they're, they're aligned in, in wanting to make this, uh, a success. Um, uh, and, and yes, it's true that, uh, in the private sale, it's more kind of higher net worth type people. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, that's true, but, but also, uh, a lot of people in the industry would just become advisors of various companies and, and kind of get involved in the industry and, you know, help people, uh, with media and all these other things. And they, you know, get coin, uh, as part of their compensation as well. Right. So, right. so, so everyone's still getting, uh, a share, if you will. The only people that are really losing out, I guess, uh, quote unquote is, uh, is like, uh, the average person who would have put in $500 or a thousand dollars into an ICO, uh, when it was kind of, you know, all on a, on a public ICO. And now, mm-hmm. You know, by the time it gets to the public ICO, the the token is uh, you know being sold for some value, and everybody else already got all these discounts, and so you're kind of like the the last man standing, I guess, which you know is, is unfortunate. Got it. So in that case, that company's gone out, sold a lot of the coins in a private offering, built up the company, 
increased the value of the coin and then gone and done a, a, a either a public ICO or just got the coin listed on an exchange, at which point the, the price of the coin is already significantly up from when they started. Right, exactly. And so I think I think that, you know, we're seeing coin values go all over the place. And, and you know, some of it's just trend, right? Like if Bitcoin and Ethereum go up, you know, then mm-hmm. kind of all the coins kind of go up and, and it could be vice versa. But I mean, I think what you really have to do is you have to look at, um, you know, the platforms that really have a value of, of you know, for the coin, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if you can, if you can take that coin and you can go to that platform and you can use it, you know, and, and so there's real demand for that coin, you know, then, then that coin has value because you can get something for it. Um, and if it, and, you know, if that platform is not out yet or, you know, the, it's not taking off, like maybe there's billions of coins out there, but, you know, there's like a thousand downloads of the app you know, then, then that's indicative that this coin just doesn't have any value. Right. And mm-hmm. so people can choose to, can, people can choose to hold it and maybe they think it will later. Um, you know, that's fine. But, but, uh, but really at the end of the day, it's, it's about demand for the coin and, uh, that's what gives the coin its value. Like it. Good stuff. All right. Let's jump into a little bit about Ninja. I want to hear, you know, where you guys are at and then also, of course, as a platform, but then also in terms of your, your ICO and your funding. Yeah, so uh, so we started um, uh, back in uh, 2016, and we uh, raised uh, 1.4 something like 1.8. I forget the exact number. Let's say it's 1.8 million uh, in uh, seed funding, and then later uh, a Series A for another two million. And uh, so we've used all that money uh, to develop our, our platform. And uh, so uh, actually, we're even on uh, going to be doing our beta uh, August 15th. So people uh, who sign up at our website, ninja.io. Uh, can actually, uh, uh, you know, register to, to be part of the beta. Um, mm-hmm. so that's coming out, uh, August 15th. And then, uh, we will, uh, and, and during this period of time, uh, while we're finalizing the development, we're doing the ICO, uh, privately, uh, at this moment. We were originally going to do a, a public, but now it's getting pushed back because of all the things that I've said before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so basically, uh, you know, we are looking for, uh, private investors, you know, and we do the full KYC, know your customer and anti-money, uh, anti, uh, you know, money laundering and all that. We, so we take it very seriously. And, uh, and we're raising that, uh, you know, we're selling those tokens basically as a way to get the distribution, uh, of the token out into the economy, as well as to bring in money, which we can use for marketing purposes and actually launching the, uh, the, the platform itself. Makes sense. So the the first money that you guys brought in was for equity, and then the, with the private ICO, you're going to be going out and selling coin initially to private investors. And then will there be will there be any later stage uh, public ICO? Is that is that a thing that you do after a private ICO, or is that am I mixing up the terminology and stages of no, growth it's, there? It's it's right. It's very common to after you have the private ICO uh, to to go into the public, uh, but now uh, it's more of um, you know, just a form, uh, like a formality, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, if, if let's say you raise 30, 50 million in the private, you know, you may, you know, go to do a public just to, just to give everyone the opportunity to, to, to buy some tokens for when the platform launches and, and also, uh, I don't know, just, uh, just the way the industry works. But, mm-hmm. but, uh, the amount of, the, the amount of tokens you, people typically plan to sell now in the public is a, is a fraction of what they planned, uh, you know, for the private. Excellent. And you're, is yours is going to be an actual token because you already had the the platform and these tokens are going to be basically utility for this economy that you guys are developing. Is that correct? That's right. Exactly. hundred percent. So we're awesome. a utility token because, you know, our uh, platform uh, is out, uh, you know, before, uh, you know, we didn't, we didn't basically raise 
uh, money, you know, with uh, the ICO to build the platform. That's what we did with the traditional uh, funding. And then, you know, you can use the Ninja coin within the entire ecosystem of Ninja for all sorts of uh, services. So it's a utility token. And we didn't touch on what is the what is the the platform and the utility of the token. What is what are you guys building at Ninja? So we are revolutionizing the future of work. So basically, mm-hmm. within a communications platform, almost like a Telegram or a WeChat or anything you know that you're used to using, um, with may, more features, I may add. But uh, we are we are basically auto assigning workers to projects in real time. So if you've ever used Upwork or Fiverr or any of the freelance networks, which I've used you know, uh, for many years and know all the, the good and bad about them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's the, the trend in the world is more and more people are going freelance. And by 2030, it's like 80% of the world. And there's already a $1.4 trillion uh, freelance economy in the U.S. alone right now and over 2 to $3 trillion, uh, globally and maybe even more. Uh, so what we're doing is we're trying to make it as simple to get a worker uh, to help you with something as it is to get an Uber. Uh, so basically, if you're, uh, I'll give you a common problem. Uh, you know, I, I take some time, I do a PowerPoint. Um, you know, all the data is there, looks great, but you know, it just doesn't look good. It needs to be templated, it needs to be cleaned up, right? I can actually hold down that that PowerPoint within my uh, Messenger app, within my Ninja app, and I can say, I need somebody right now who's a designer to make this look pretty, or you know, I've done the, uh, a job on this Excel sheet, you know, but I need it to be made with uh, graphs and pivot tables and, you know, mm-hmm. here are my requirements. And, you know, the difference is instead of doing a job posting and, and getting, you know, inter- people to interview and then going through this whole process, we actually have a sophisticated onboarding uh, mechanism which kind of controls the quality. And so we can actually auto-assign somebody in real time. So it's as easy to make money uh, by earning NinjaCoin. You just turn on the app and say, I want to I wanna work. And, uh, the jobs will be coming in. And, uh, from the, from the client side, you're just in the middle of your workflow. I need help with this. I need help with that. I need help with that. And you can get that help in real time across a variety of, uh, types of services. Very cool stuff. I'm obviously a huge proponent of what's happening in the freelance space. Uh, a bunch of the projects I'm working on are also playing that card on remote workers, uh, shared workspace, the shared economy. This thing is going to be huge. The, Upwork. I'm a you know I've been using Upwork for probably 12 years. So this whole opportunity is massive. Obviously, a very ambitious project that you guys are going after. So good good luck on everything. We're looking forward to seeing how it all plays out. We'll keep the listeners updated. So I want to end with kind of your advice on any listeners that want to get involved in in just ICOs as a whole, try to get in early stage ICOs, but they're starting basically from this episode. What advice would you have for them to basically find an ICO and invest in it? There's got to be a kind of a starting point that everyone can get started. Sure. I think the important thing is, uh, you know, you have to understand how the technology works. I mean, you don't, you don't have to understand like, you know, down to the protocol level, but like everything we discussed on this call, right? You know, when you send money to a contract address, you know, you're going to get tokens. How does that, you know, basically work? Like, you got to understand what's going on because if you don't, it's just, there's just no way you're not going to get screwed. Um, you know, so once you have that base understanding, um, you know, and get, you know, buy some Ethereum, you know, play with it, send it between two wallets, like make sure you understand really just how to use this stuff, right? And, uh, <clears throat> you know, after that, um, just start reading, uh, you know, there's all sorts of, uh, ICO websites. Uh, I, I don't remember the names off the top of my head, but like ICO list and whatever. I, uh, and just, you know, just go, 
go always look at the upcoming projects and read the white papers. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you read the white paper and you feel like, wow, that's, that's really, you know, next generation stuff. Like I can really envision how this, you know, is going to revolutionize some industry by making it a tokenized model on the blockchain. Um, you know, then look at the team, you know, and look at, you know, who they are and uh, look them up on LinkedIn and, you know, and everybody's got a pretty face and everybody's got, you know, uh, fancy <laughs> wording these days. So, you know, don't just say like, oh, it looks good. You know, look actually at their experience. You know, are they able to bring this product to, to fruition? Um, you know, and, and then just, you know, kind of, uh, uh, keep up with what they're doing, you know, and, and if you feel like, hey, these guys, you know, they have it together. Uh, the plan is good. You know, the team is good. Um, you know, what they're raising makes sense compared to what they're trying to do. Um, you know, then, hey, uh, and it's all risk anyway. You know, sure. don't consider, don't consider your ICO, uh, uh, as an investment. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, when you, when you put money into it, don't, don't think of it as an investment. Think of it as I'm giving this coin to this company. When their service comes out, I'm going to be able to use these tokens in that ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Am I going to want to use this? You know, and if the answer is yes, it's probably a good one for you. Um, and if the answer is no, then don't buy it. Uh, and, uh, and if you happen to buy it and it goes up in value and you, you know, feel like, well, I don't need all these tokens anymore because, you know, they're worth so much and I can get the services, you know, for only a fraction of the tokens I have. And then they happen to get picked up on an exchange, even better, right? And then you can, you know, yeah, you made money. Of course, don't forget to pay your taxes, especially if you're in the U.S. Because, <laughs> As- well, it depends because, like, uh, U.S. citizens, you know, we get taxed globally. So mm-hmm. a lot of people don't, you know, know that they have to fill out, you know, all sorts of uh, forms and everything. So, you know, just be careful because there's a lot of people out there that, that think that, you know, this isn't uh, taxable, but it is. I think that's a really smart way to look at it. I've never thought of investing ICOs in that way before, but when you frame it like that, I think it helps you understand the opportunity a lot better. And assuming someone likes the white paper and likes the team, what's the process in investing in that, in that ICO from there? Do you, is, is it usually a link in the white paper that says for investment opportunities, click here, or do you just contact the team and indicate your interest? How does that usually work? So assuming you're going to you know, not put in like hundred thousand dollars and you're going to put in, you know, normal, normal amounts of money. Then, you know, we're talking about the public ICO. And then, you know, if you're assuming it's a public ICO, then, uh, what you would do is you, you know, there will be a sign up button on the website. Uh, and, uh, you, you know, you, you, you probably have to go through a KYC process, um, you know, update your, uh, you know, upload your passport and, 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 you know, identity basically, because, uh, you know, that's really the big part of the regulation now is, is making sure that there's no like drug money or like, you know, weapons smuggling or any crazy stuff where, you know, where's this money coming from? Um, so that's, you know, pretty much standard now in the industry is everyone's going through this KYC process. Once you get uh, past that KYC process, then you can actually, they'll give you an address, which uh, will usually be an Ethereum address, but it could also be other uh, coins. And then, you know, you just send the uh, tokens, you know, the Ethereum uh, coin that you want uh to contribute to this ICO you just send it to that address and they'll you know have a uh a, um, a screen basically that says okay this is how much we received from you this is how many tokens you get and then uh in general those tokens will be delivered to your wallet right away or you know in in many cases now it'll come later you know after they formally finish the ICO and do what they call the token generation event awesome Marshall, it's been a lot of fun. You've definitely re-energized me about ICOs. I've learned a lot on this episode. Hope the listeners have as well. We're looking forward to hearing more about what you and Ninja are going to create in the new economy. 
And I'm looking forward to seeing everything that's coming out from you guys. I think the opportunity is massive. You guys have obviously done well so far, and I hope that you continue this upward growth. Appreciate you coming on and navigating ICOs with us on this one-on-one episode. I know everyone's going to enjoy it, as I did. And it's Shenzhen, almost 1, 1 a.m. over there. So get yourself some sleep, and um, we'll catch you next time. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Sam. You know what? I'm I'm very curious. I'm so curious, after, especially after listening to this episode, what's going to happen five or ten years from now. I really believe that this is the early days of the internet. This is like 1992 when some nerd said to you, "Hey, man, you should you know invest in this HTTP thing." And majority of people will just overlook it, thinking like, "What are you talking about? This is silly." The valuations don't make any sense. These companies don't even, you know, produce any profit. You know, what are they doing? And fast forward 20 years, we can't imagine, you know, not only our lives, but also business without the internet. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, you could say this about so many industries going back three, four hundred years ago and people thinking they missed the boat. And then fast forward a hundred years and you're like, wow, that, <laughs> that thing developed really quick and became a very common part of our lives. And you think about the opportunity in ICOs, I kind of think about it like this. So th- I, I'm not sure like a tokenized world is a better world in, in terms of exchanging a token for some type of product or service. Because oh, let's say like this, Johnny, if, if it's your birthday tomorrow and I'm like, hey, Johnny, do you want... $20 cash or do you want a $20 gift card to Best Buy? What would you take? You know, what's funny is I'd rather have cash, but if you think about it, no one's giving cash to people's birthdays. People are giving gift cards. And I think there's a reason for that. I think that reason is actually because giving cash is like kind of – people don't like to give cash, right? People like to give something because it means – if you give cash, it's like lazy. Like, oh, here, I, I forgot about your birthday. Here's 20 bucks. <laughs> But if you give a gift card, it's like, oh, there's thought behind that, right? <laughs> Sam, I know you really uh, like Cheesecake Factory, so here's a $20 gift card. Yeah, yeah, right. I went out of my way to pick this up for you because I know you like – there's a thought behind it. But I think most people would, would really say, I want cash because well, I can use it anywhere. I'm not limited to using it in one platform, one you know product or service. I think that that is true. But the really good example that Marshall used is Ubercoin. I don't know mm-hmm. if it's in development or if it's ever going to come out. But to be honest, I hate seeing like, you know, 40 Uber transactions on my credit card every month. It's just annoying to scroll through because they're all for, you know, $2 here in Ukraine. If I can just buy, you know, Uber tokens or credit and just, you know, have it charge my, my phone like a hundred bucks at a time and then automatically recharge, as long as I got some kind of benefit from it. So let's say I got like an extra 10% bonus or something. I'd almost rather have that, and then I can just have a easy hundred dollar charge on my credit card statement, you know, once a month or once every, you know, however long it takes to to use it up, versus a two dollar transaction, you know, like every few hours. Yeah, I, I can see that. I I feel that the way that things are currently taxed in the U.S. and you have to pay your tax dollars in dollars and not coin. The way the record keeping and ledger keeping for all these transactions is a lot easier in U.S. dollars. And when I go to foreign countries, as much as you and I travel, Johnny, I hate having to do like currency exchange. It's such a pain in the ass, right? So when I, I'm traveling abroad, I'm always like, man, I wish there was just one 
currency. Why does there have to be 180 currencies and more? Like now when you talk about cryptocurrencies, I don't want to have to continue exchange and wonder what the exchange rate and in some cases mark that for accounting and tax purposes. So I'm not sure that everything needs its own token, its own currency. But if you think about it like this, you have big VCs like Anderson Horowitz investing in ICO projects. And these guys have been behind some of the, the biggest projects in the world and they're, you know, they're visionaries. So they obviously think that there's something big happening here. And I think we, we're both on that, you know, share that same thought and theory is that something big is happening here. And since we're at the early days of the Internet, the Internet might not be, you know, if you look back in the history books 500 years from now, the Internet will be a huge thing. But there could be something bigger that we're not even aware of yet. Right. And if you if the Internet, if someone owned the Internet and had created an Internet coin and mandated the use of that internet coin to be on the internet, I mean, think how big that would be. Or even something like Wi-Fi. Like, what if someone owned Wi-Fi, and in order to use Wi-Fi, you had to use a, a token, right? I'm not saying these things could ever be proprietary or, or owned by an individual or or, or monetized, but, um, but something as big as those things could be global in the future. And if someone creates it, owns it, and mandates a token for it, I think that's why Anderson Horowitz is investing in these things, not that they think there's going to be 5,000 of these things that are useful and successful. I think they're thinking there's going to be like two or three in the next two decades that are going to be so mainstream, so commonplace, and that those things are going to be you know trillion-dollar opportunities. I actually 100% agree with that, and the only reason why I'm not jumping in and investing in ICOs is because I don't know which ones it's going to be. And I don't think anyone knows which ones it's going to be. I think there's going to be way more losers than there are winners. And when I say way more, I mean 99.9% are going to be losers in the long run. I mean, maybe some of them might be, you know, might make money for a little bit or, you know, maybe might, might do okay. But just in general, most ICOs are not going to become something significant. Most of them are not mm-hmm. even going to be around in a few years. But there are going to be a couple big winners and it might be more than two. You know, let's say it's the internet, like early days of the internet. How many of those big companies survived? You know, maybe there's a couple dozen or something, but they didn't go up by, you know, a hundred percent and they didn't double. You know, they would just, (laughs) they would like, they would get so much bigger. There would be, you know, be thousands of multiples, you know, 10,000, you know, times bigger, a hundred thousand times bigger. And those are those big home runs that I don't want to miss out on, but I don't, Honestly, I don't know how to participate besides investing in Ether, which it seems like that's what everything's built on anyways. So mm-hmm. if these other companies do well, then it'll automatically make Ethereum more valuable. I agree with that. You got to have look at something that has a big enough opportunity globally to be commonplace in, you know, kind of the world's ecosystem. So if you think about it, someone like Starbucks. If Starbucks or Uber, you know, if they introduced a coin today, it would obviously be in use. Uh, Facebook could probably pull, pull off something similar or Amazon. But if you look at someone, something like Starbucks, let's say Starbucks introduced a coin to the market and that coin was one coin was equal to redemption on any small cafe or, you know, the small size cafe globally. Well, you would have to get a good price on that, like, say, a dollar or less to really be interested in investing at, at the early stages, right? Because the value of that coin is never going to be 10 or $20, right? 
it's always going to be like three dollars or whatever the average is globally. It's going to be like a little bit under that. So I think there's going to a lot of coins that that might be rolled out and successful long term because they have such an international presence and, and utility. The, the the price increase, the upside is is kind of limited because it's always going to be benchmarked to what it it can actually be exchange for so like it's a starbucks coin is never going to go to two hundred thousand, right because it can only be exchanged for a small latte so i i think you're absolutely right and i love that marshall brought this up where instead of i think you know the the ico craze that we saw a few months ago or, or all of last year that is kind of a thing of the past where people are not really going to just you know try to swing for the fences and just hope that these coins you know thousand times in value for no apparent reason I think this next stage of ICOs is exactly what you said, where people will buy coins because they actually want to use the product because they can actually exchange it pretty much one-to-one for a product, maybe with a small upside or small discount, like a Starbucks coin, you know, giving you, let's say, 10 or 20%, um, you know, in, in bonus or, you know, or in a discount. And if that coin happens to go up in value, then great. But if it doesn't, nobody really expects it. Yeah, well, I think that's that's really interesting, and I agree with it all. So, how do we play ICOs going forward? Because it's still <laughs> very interesting. It's very interesting. I'm just not sure that I don't think I have access to hitting the home run in these things. I'm like, I'm probably have access to things when they're already, you know, way <laughs> they've already been invested by Anderson Horowitz and all these other guys. I think there's a select group out there high net wealth guys, venture capitalists, they have access to really, really exciting projects very early on and everyone else is going to be way behind. So you, you want to you wanna try to guess something uh, really funny that I, that's exactly on this topic. I was trying to buy a coin last Friday, desperately trying to, trying to buy this coin. I was excited about it. I was dreaming about it. I was researching it. And it's something that can be traded for a real product. You want to try to guess what it is? Um, real estate. No, 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 it's it's on the no. it's on the spectrum of the Starbucks coin, and it's an actual coin that came out. I, I believe it was last week. Ooh, yeah. uh, big company as big as Starbucks. Red Bull, not Red Bull coin. Nope. Uh, drink company McDonald's. It was a McDonald's coin. It was the Big Whoa! Mac coin. All right, no way. Yeah, so they came out with. I honestly, I think it was kind of a joke or promotion. <laughs> it's called a Big Mac coin and you would get it for free. It was actually a physical coin that you would get for free if you bought a Big Mac on McDonald's 50th Big Mac anniversary. And the coin has intrinsic value because you can exchange it for a Big Mac at any McDonald's in the world. So how are you going to try to buy them? So you You're get just going to go buy no. like 100 Big Macs? <laughs> I was literally – Thinking, how many Big Macs should I buy? Because I had. So, have you heard of the Big Mac Index? Yes, I have. Okay, so I happen to be in Ukraine, where we have the world's cheapest Big Mac on the Big Mac Index. I think um, Egypt might have just took that took that spot for this year. But either way, I can buy a Big Mac here for I believe like a dollar fifty, and then I can enjoy the Big Mac, so I can get my my value worth. I can get a coin, which then I can use. Next time I'm in Singapore or in the U.S. Ooh, or ooh. Norway, where a Big Mac would cost four fifty or five dollars, and all of a sudden, for my dollar seventy purchase or whatever it is, I can get 
you know, six, seven dollars worth of value. Oh, arbitrage. Yeah. Or what you could do is you could buy, say, 10,000 Big Macs in the Ukraine. Then you could fly to Singapore, hang out in front of McDonald's and sell them for four four Singapore instead of five Singapore, which people would pay at, at the you know, at the register. That's true. Or I could just sell on eBay for $10, which is what people are doing right now. 10 bucks, really? Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Hmm. So I think it's funny that McDonald's, this big company, is kind of jumping on the bandwagon. Honestly, a little bit more tongue-in-cheek. It's it's a little bit more of a joke. But at the same time, I can absolutely see a company like Amazon crush it with an Amazon coin. They would have to really, really, really plan it well. But imagine this. Imagine an ecosystem where you are an Amazon seller. So let's say you're an author on Amazon or you're selling FBA products. And instead of getting paid cash into your bank account, which then you can spend on you know whatever you want, but chances are you, you might go back and buy things on Amazon anyways. Imagine you get Amazon tokens that you can only use in the Amazon ecosystem. But what does that allow you to do? It allows you to buy all sorts of products on Amazon, your electronics, your cell phones, all that stuff. It allows you to go to Whole Foods to do grocery shopping. And it allows you to, you know, basically use that, you know, I don't want to call it an Amazon gift card, but your Amazon token credits to be able to just live your normal life. And the, since this never, this money never has to go into USD, it might be cash, you know, it might be tax free because you're just getting credits or tokens on this platform that in turn you're using again. It saves Amazon, you know, the, the fees to pay you, um, in cash. It, it saves, it's, it saves Amazon the 2.9% transaction fees when you buy stuff from the site again. So they can pass that, those savings along to you and everybody, you know, kind of wins wins. Well, there still would have to be a cash component for Amazon because they have, well, they have to be able to, it, exchange something for us dollars or be able to bring in us dollars because they have to pay tax in us dollars so as long as the, as long as that's the government's rule no company is going to ever be able to go fully to a coin without having the ability to turn that coin into us dollars because they're gonna have to pay tax in us dollars yeah I there's mean, no I, way around that right i, I think that's Unless, gonna that's i mean that's a huge bottleneck and i think that's why that's why amazon hasn't done it yet mm-hmm. even though there were so many rumors last year i mean there was tons of people just saying you know i guarantee you this quarter you know or on you know this date amazon's coming out with a coin you need to buy <laughs> james <this token>. <laughs> yeah i mean he's like i put my you know i put my word out there on it put my name on it tomorrow this is happening and it doesn't ha- and it didn't happen you know I, it doesn't mean that Amazon hasn't been thinking about it. Maybe they're, they're planning to. And actually, in fact, Amazon does have a coin, but it's only for in, uh, I think it's only for gaming. Uh, mm-hmm. but I think I'm pretty sure this is Amazon's way to, to test, um, how, you know, this ecosystem. But instead of doing it kind of on their, their large market, you're only able to buy apps and games for it right now, which are just digital products. Well, but if you go to like a CVS or something, you can still buy an Amazon gift card, right? Which is Amazon credits. Yeah. So what's what's the difference in that and an Amazon token? So I would say the biggest difference. Really? Like what, what's the difference there, right? Well, the, the biggest difference is when you go to see, you know, when you go to a drugstore and you buy an Amazon gift card, you are spending, let's say it costs CVS 3%. Uh, to p- process that payment, you know, assuming you're using a credit card to buy it or, you know, they have to handle the cash and might, might end up costing a few mm. percent anyways. 
then mm-hmm. they have to pay Amazon, you know, uh, that wholesale amount or whatever the amount is. And that's going to cost them some money. And then when, when you use the, the gift card on Amazon, then Amazon is really happy because you're first stuck on, on their platform. So, so they know you're going to be spending that hundred dollars on Amazon yeah. because you're committed. Um, but second, they don't have to pay the fees, which is great. Right. So it's kind of like the, the token, but yeah, I think the reason I don't know. I, I think right now it's, if they made Amazon gift cards way more easy to kind of, you know, move around and like, let's see, instead of having, mm-hmm. instead of having like a bunch of Amazon gift cards, which you can lose, you can like, you know, have a little bit of credit on one, but not enough on another one. If all that mm-hmm. was tokenized and it was still called an Amazon gift card, but it just made it, they just made it easier. It was on one account. It was on your phone. You can, you could send some of that money to someone else if you have too, you know, if you have too much to use, you can request it. You can request payments into your Amazon you know, mm-hmm. token account. I think it's very similar. I, th- I think you're actually kind of onto something where they're, they're kind of closer than, than we think. And I know this is true because I have a lot of friends who are not, you know, non-American. They're from like Vietnam or, you know, Eastern Europe where it's really hard for them to get paid in US dollars when they sell on places like Amazon or, you know, uh, or online. Mm-hmm. So instead they ask for, uh, pay near, you know, uh, to be paid either into the Payner account or onto a prepaid MasterCard. And mm-hmm. there's not that big of a difference between getting paid onto a prepaid MasterCard, even though it's technically, you know, cash and you can use it anywhere, versus getting paid onto a prepaid, you know, Amazon gift card if there was enough places accepting that Amazon gift card. Mm. Well, I think you brought up some really good points about benefits of why Amazon might do it largely in the saving and fees and kind of controlling their customer, controlling the actions and activity in the marketplace. And in a sense, they'd almost become their own bank. So they don't really have to deal with banks as much anymore because they have their own utility that they would basically be storing and holding on behalf of people in a lot of ways. Um, so, so we'll see actually, what happens in the future, man. I don't know. This is uh, it's, it's uh, something's going to happen. Something's going to happen for sure. Someone's going to nail it. Um, It'll be interesting to see how much money is made at the early stages of of this whole thing. Well, there's one country that has kind of done that, even though they're not they're not legally recognized as a country. <laughs> it's somewhere I was I mm-hmm. was about a month ago, Transnistia. Uh, I had a podcast. It was episode 202 of Travel Like a Boss, entitled "The Sheriff of Transnistia," and it's basically this small, unrecognized country in between Moldova and Ukraine. And they have their own currency called the Transnistrian ruble, which could basically be a a token for this you know country startup because it's not useful anywhere else in the world. Nobody else takes it. <laughs> and what makes it even crazier is pretty much everyone who gets paid that has a job in Transnistria is paid by this guy named the sheriff. And instead of him paying you in in cash, he pays you on a prepaid debit card from bank of sheriff that is in you know ukraine um in transition rubles which basically can just you can think of it as sheriff rubles and you can only use this card actually no i don't even think you get paid in transition rubles you get paid onto a sheriff card and it can only be used at sheriff businesses but he happens to own grocery stores gas stations malls real estate 
you know, restaurants, pretty much everything. It sounds like communism. Well, it kind of, it kind of <laughs> is. <laughs> and they still fly the USSR flag, but mm. this basically, that is, you know, the, the ver- real life version of this kind of token where the sheriff coin, if you want to call it that, that it's, I mean, and people are okay with it because, you know, they're like, well, I'm, I'm just going to spend this money in these five places anyways, these 10 places anyways. I'm going to pay my rent to, to the sheriff owned apartment. I'm going to get gas at the sheriff gas station. I'm going to get groceries at this place. And I think the reason why people don't complain because it works is first off, it's convenient. Second, there's no fees. And then third, they have the option to con- convert it into uh, a different, you know, a different currency if they want to. But most people just don't do it because they trust the, the the system where they're like, well, instead of having cash under the mattress, I'm okay with having this coin because it buys me stuff. Right. And it's kind of like a controlled economy. So I think a, a government that is sort of isolated or an economy that's sort of isolated, like say Iceland, for instance, could probably be the first one to pull this off on like a national level uh, because their whole economy is, is so controlled within boundaries and um, – you know, and, and it's it's relatively small. Something like Singapore or Iceland could get everybody on board within, you know, government and private sectors, public sectors and and sort of mandate the use of this. But, you know, that's not really going to be an ICO. That's going to be, you know, global uh, government backed cryptocurrency of such. I think the opportunity for investors is in, you know, getting an early stage into these into these private ICOs. Uh, before it hit the public markets or before it's even an ICO, really getting in a, at a pre-funding round on these projects before um, before they release their ICO. So if any of the listeners out there have any exciting projects that they've heard of, please send us an email. We'll take a look at them. We're definitely looking to get more ICO episodes on here uh, to actually hear more about their products and how they expect to make money for the investors um, and, of course, launch their platform on a global scale. <laughs> Send those emails to Sam. I'm not going to read any of them. <laughs> I have a complete different take from it. I don't want to hear about a company's plans, what they're going to do until they've actually done them. And I know I'm going to miss out on a lot of, you know, companies who may, you know, thousand X in value once they come out, but that's not part of my, you know, my investing strategy. I don't want to read a white paper about something that doesn't exist yet. I want to see a company that, it's established that, you know, I don't, you know, I'm glad ICOs, investment rounds, early seed rounds are out there because I think they're, they're necessary sometimes for companies to kind of get off the ground. But for me personally, I don't want to invest in them. I don't want to invest in startups. I don't want to invest in something with potential down the road. I want, I want something that is actionable and usable now. Yeah. And you also don't like the, even though you're a pretty high risk in a lot of the different investment strategies you do, like say index funds, you're basically a 10 out of 10, but you also know that that's never going to zero. You know that over the course of time, that should ultimately make a return as long as you don't sell or force to liquidate at the wrong time. Whereas startups and ICOs, there is more like a 90% chance that that's not going to have any value. And the ones that do may, may be, you know, 100x return but for a lot of them they're going to go to zero and that's that's even though you're a high risk person that's like too much too much risk i think yeah definitely because even the like small cap value index funds i invest in those are still real companies you know those are companies Mm -hmm. like i don't know like 
a drink company or, you know, a beverage company or something like that, uh, or some kind of, you know, you know, business doing a million dollars plus in, in, in revenue selling a real product. You know, they've been around, you know, some of them are a bit new, uh, but they're real businesses. And ICOs to me are just, it's the new startup. And I mm-hmm. think there's going to be a lot of money made. I, I think it's going to be very beneficial. They're going to help the world with some of the things they're going to come out with. And I'm just going to wait for that day to happen because that's just not a part of my investment strategy. But yeah, I'm, I'm glad it's out there. I respect people who take those risks and take those, um, those big swings. Uh, so as far as what I'm going to invest in, you know, regarding the information I got in this episode and, and before, I'm very happy I invested in Ether because I believe this is a building block for, you know, these ICOs to happen. So I'm going to hold on to those. I'm very happy. I'm going to keep my one Bitcoin just, just to participate, even though, you know, I, I have mixed feelings about what's going to happen. And I regret buying things like Ripple, not just because it went down, but because honestly, I bought those because they're kind of a gamble. And that's mm-hmm. against my philosophy where I'm no longer going to gamble. Um, so hold Ether, not doing anything else. What about you? For the cryptocurrencies that I own, for now, they're out of sight, out of mind, not thinking about them, not participating in anything new. I am interested in some of these. Well, I'm, I'm always interested in startup investing. So I, I usually add one or two startup investments every year, at least over the last four or five years. So that stuff's interesting to me. If they have an ICO component where they have you know, a, a token or a coin utility, that's interesting to me. I wouldn't say I'm shifting more of my focus into that in the startup side of things. I'm still heavy on you know equity and, and early stage seed investing. But if I can, if if I see something that I think has a large enough scale that a coin could be used internationally for some type of commonplace, I'd be interested in it. But I'm looking at it in a very cautious, uh, you know, op- opportunistic way. Uh, I wouldn't be going out and chasing that. But if something came to my radar and looked really interesting, I might do it just to just to dabble. I'm a dabbler, Johnny. Dabbler. Yeah. I know that's your style. I love it. So if you guys have any opportunities, post it in the Boss Lounge, our Facebook group, so people can, can chat about it. Uh, Sam can learn more and then invest his hard-earned cash in it. And I can just sit on the sidelines and kind of just be like, all right, let's, let's see what happens. Uh, but really glad. I'm really, really happy we, we did this episode. I think mm-hmm. it's ignorant not to educate yourself Uh, on these things, even if you're not going to invest. So thank you, Sam, for bringing them on. Yeah, thanks to Marshall for coming on. Good luck to NinjaCoin. Listeners that want to check out more, we'll leave links in the show notes. And feel free to reach out to Marshall and the team if you have any interest in their product, um, investing, or just hearing more and seeing what they're doing. And I would encourage anyone that's over in Hong Kong at any point you know, in the next year, and the the, the market over there is crazy. Cryptocurrency, uh, ICOs, that's like for all the places I've traveled, it's the most happening area. So if you happen to be passing through there, you know, just do a little bit of research and go check out some of the little hubs. There's always ICO and different type of cryptocurrency meetups there. There's ATM machines. Just go watch some of the ATMs and watch the activity around the ATMs. It's really interesting. I think you'll enjoy it. So take a look at that and um, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I love it. All right, buddy. Enjoy uh, 
the rest of your time in San Diego. Have a California burrito for me. And I'll uh, catch you back in the U.S. Maybe by the time uh, this next episode goes out. Sounds good, guys. All right. Thanks, Johnny. Thanks for listening to the Best Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at investlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.